Hey, welcome back to Seven Figure Music School. I'm Daniel, this is Nate, and we're here to help you run a systems and mission-driven school. Now, the last couple of weeks, we have been looking at a word. It's almost like Sesame Street, Nate. <laughs> What's the word of the week? Well, yeah. <laughs> and the word of the week in the last few weeks has been community. So we started yeah. a couple of weeks ago with me kind of asking Nate some sincere questions around what his school has kind of made their mission, their drive, their core value. And that's this idea of community, collaboration, something that really wasn't a value in my school. I had different values that were very close to me. But of course, we weren't focusing on me. We were focusing on Nate. And I wanted to understand it better. And so we gave a number of reasons why to do it. But it was more of a theoretical episode. And then we followed that episode up with last week's episode with Brian King, where we talked about building community through event-based marketing. Mm. And today we're following up on Nate's last episode, because the promise we made at the end of that episode was that in a future episode, we were going to move from the why to the how. And so today's episode is going to be very practical. Now, a lot of times in the episodes we do, Nate, we do not split the theory and the practice. But nope. Both were so big that we thought, ah, this really is two episodes. We don't want to do a half-hearted job at either one of those. Let's get really clear on why it's so important, and then let's get really clear on how to do it. And you know what? Even before we jump in and start talking about that how, I do want to say this. I actually think it's important that we spend a whole episode on the why. Yeah. The motivation to make changes, the kinds of changes we're going to talk about in this episode, that can be hard. To, to manufacture inside of ourselves when we've already got so many things to do. We've got taxes to pay and we've got less reports to fill out. We've got staff to manage. We've got parents to contact, students to get recital pieces for. And then here we come along and say, hey, here's this thing that could potentially change your entire career, change the trajectory of your studio. Here's mm. a couple ideas. That's not enough to motivate someone to change. No. And in that episode, giving all those whys, like here's the payoff, I think it makes it much more tangible. But then inevitably, we need to actually talk about what to put into place to make that happen. And that's why today we're going to focus on three specific areas in your school, physical locations even, in your school where mm. you can foster community amongst your team, amongst your students, amongst the parents in your school. And so the way we're structuring this is to look at three specific areas where you can build community. And Nate's going to give practical rules, like things that are actually taught to his staff, things that Nate has personally committed to, to, to create that sense of community amongst the people at BMF. So Nate, I'm really glad that you're willing to share this with us. Where yeah. should we begin? Well, um, we should begin by saying, to highlight what you just said, if you haven't yet listened to episode 73, Good point. our sort of first part of community, you should 100% pause this, That's go really back, listen to that, then come here. So yeah. um, the way I've been thinking about it a lot, Daniel, has been sort of like um, areas within your school that you can put these new kind of habits or these new policies or rules or principles or however you want to frame them, but let's call them habits for right now, uh, into, so specific areas, and I've broken them into three areas, 
first of all, your waiting room. We call it our community room. So just imagine your family enters your space. So the first space, how can what kind of habits can we put in place there that will encourage a building of community? And then the second space is now your teacher, uh, your student goes into the classroom with the teacher. So what what kind of habits can we put into place within the studio? And then the final area where I where I just sort of made a list of of choices that we've made and habits we've put into place are on the actual performance. So your recitals, your seasonal, in our case, there's seasonal songwriting parties, um, so or band shows, that kind of thing. So uh, those are the three areas we're going to touch on. I've got a, I don't know, I've got about a half dozen ideas and habits you can choose to put in place right away. All of these things are that you could act on, by the way, immediately, like they should be low barrier to entry. Um, that's that's been that was one of my criteria in making the list. Mm. Um, not too complicated, mm. organized in specific areas, and actionable right away. Hmm. I like that. Uh, well, Nate, you started with the waiting room or community room, where mm. you're creating. It's a physical space to build connection. What are some of the rules and habits that you have in place there? You know, we call it the community room. We, it's not by accident that we've named it that because literally on the, the mega decal on our door, both to the left-hand side and the right-hand side of our four, you know, our two double doors, is it says, inspire musicians, build community. So you walk in, we call it the community room. It's intentional because it's built. It's our, it's our ethos and our purpose. Um, so I got about eight here for us. So mm. that's going to just kick this off. So I call it waiting room rules. And then my little sub for myself is create a space in your studio for connection, Mm. right? Okay, so rule number one is we uh, introduce our students to one another every week. We literally, like Josie walks into the studio. I'm going to use my daughter's names. It's like as our as our dummy students for today. (laughs) Josie, Josie walks into the community room and the first thing I say to Josie is, after calling her by name, that's another rule we'll get to, I say, mm-hmm. Josie, have you met Pearl before? And I actually don't say, have you met Pearl? I say, have you played on a gig with Pearl before? Mm-hmm. And so Pearl's just sitting in the waiting room as well, waiting for her in the community room, waiting for her lesson. And so that's rule number one. It's so basic. It's so simple. I have a question. Yo. how? Uh... How does that interaction typically go? Because here you have one child, here you have another child. Maybe they don't know each other. And the answer to that is yes or no. What's the yeah, What happens no. next? Yeah, first of all, it's never yes or no, Daniel, oh, because especially with like a seven-year-old, like you just think like, they just sort of look at you like, um, uh, I think. Mm. Now, that's all that actually matters. It's because what you're doing in that moment around building connection is you're just pausing the one student long enough to make eye contact with another student and recognize that there's another musician in the room. I see. And you're also framing the question in musician terms. This isn't like a dinner party. This isn't a play date. Right. This is, we're, we, we're teaching the language of music here. So we're like, have you played a gig yet? Have you ever played on one of Pearl's original songs? You know, let's say Josie's a guitar player. She'll say, um, I don't know. I, but then as they get older and they've been on the journey here long enough at BMF, they will start to recognize one another and they'll be like, I loved your song on the last gig. And that changes around the sort of 
10 to 12 year old mark. So anyways, that's a great question. Don't expect it to just be like you and me at a party and we're introducing one another to our friends. Don't sure. go like that. Okay. Um, but the purpose behind it is what matters. You know? Okay. Cool. What's next? Number two, and this is a huge one and it takes training, is we have the teachers come out to the community room to get their students. Mm. And they greet their students and they say hello to the caregiver. They say hello to the mom or the dad. And then they bring the student back to the classroom. Okay. Okay. There's two things that are happening here. Number one, they're also, I'm going to just actually bump over to rule number three, which is that when the lesson's over, the teacher takes their current student, they just finished a lesson with out to the community room, and they do up to a five-minute review of what they achieved in the lesson and then what their goals are for that week, mm. right? So they're taking the student out to the community room, they're sharing what just happened with the, with the parent, and then they're handing that student over, right? Then they just look to the right and they're like, hey, Pearl, great to see you, time for your lesson. They go over and say hi to the parents or the parent or the caregiver. They say, they grab Pearl, oftentimes it's from one of, like a drum circle or a jam session or a game we're playing in the community room. They mm -hmm. grab Pearl. They may even sit down and play the drum circle for like three minutes with Pearl to start their lesson. And then they bring Pearl back to the studio. Mm. That is a huge piece of what we do. And it always takes training with new teachers. Because in a lot of studios, this, the classroom becomes their sort of like hideaway, almost like a fortress. Like I'm going to mm. hide here with my guitar and my books. And I'm going to just be safe here for the next four or five hours. And that's the opposite of community, mm. right? So you need, to, you need to get your teachers. In our case, we, we say to the teachers, you go out, you do a review of what just happened. You go out to the community room. You say hello to the community. You welcome your next student and bring them back. And by the way, just a flip of that is you have to train the families because families oftentimes are like, oh, I'll just walk back to see my student or bring my student back. We say, nope, you can always wait right here in the community room. Your teacher will always come to get you. And there's, by the way, that's a little, the motivation there, Daniel, is because we want the parents all to be hanging out in the community room, waiting for their next lesson. So there's a chance they make a connection with another family. Dig mm. it? Yes. Um, so there's those. That's like kind of rule two and three. Um, I'm going to jump ahead to four because we've just got so many different. Yeah, that's so true different i mean just so many opportunities here and i'm i don't want to run out of time and we know how long we can go okay so <laughs> um the next thing is that and i already mentioned this briefly is that you know we have everybody here probably they may or they may not have a front desk but they have some version of a greeting area there's a door where families walk in we strongly 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 encourage that every single family who walks through the door is greeted when they enter and ideally, it only doesn't have to be the entire family. It's amazing if it is, but the student at least is always greeted by name. Dig it? And actually, we were talking, Daniel, before, and I, we'll probably get to this if we have time at the end, but you were saying like, well, Nate, how do you know if this kind of stuff is working? How do you even measure if community is being built? It's a, it's a really good question, and it's a hard one to answer. But I will say that we were, we were chatting about this piece in particular, this habit within your school, is that I'll notice that at the beginning of the year, 
there's not that much greeting at the door because everyone's kind of getting to know the students. But then as the weeks go on, I'll notice that Will, for example, or Jessica, who's at the desk, they begin, they essentially know everybody's first name. Will literally knows every student at our school and, and says hello to them by name. And it's really, really fascinating. I mean, I don't, I don't have that yet, but Will does. So right. that's the, <laughs> yeah. Well, I was going to say, I think we're far enough into this now that people who are listening or watching on YouTube are beginning to get the flavor for this. Mm-hmm. So what we're not, you're not giving these, as you mentioned, these deep, complex things no. that are hard to do. Mm-mm. These are habits. I think it's important that you use those. I mean, I use the word rules, you use the word habits, mm-hmm. but I can picture my mind music schools that I've been in that I've worked with where I'm in the waiting room mm. and there's five different families there and they're all looking down at their phones. Nobody's yes. talking. It's like a funeral parlor. Right. Totally. Um, the phone occasionally rings. The desk worker doesn't interact with someone unless they work interact with them. Yeah, they come to the desk with a question. Yep. And so even with these simple habits that you're talking about here, you're creating a feeling of vibrancy. There's actual human contact mm. and interaction. And I think that can be underappreciated. Just yeah. even that, even something as simple as what you're talking about can create such a difference in the atmosphere and how people feel about the experience, the overall experience of being at that school. So I just wanted to make that observation, Nate. I want you to get back to the rules here, but I wanted to, yeah. I, I wanted, I don't want anyone listening or watching to hear what they've heard so far and think like, uh, you know, how, how important could this be? Or, or right. wait, that call people by their name. Okay. Nice tip, Daniel and Nate. Well, yeah. no, it is important. It's important. Anyway, you know what I'm ahead. reminded of? Sure. Um, dude, it's like, you know how when you'll you'll hear people talk about like great leaders or mm-hmm. sometimes the politicians, like they'll say when you're when they're shaking your hand and talking to you, they mm-hmm. make you feel like you're the most important person yes. in the world in that moment. Right. Um, and I think that's a great thing to aspire to in your waiting area is that a student comes mm-hmm. in and like. I'll be there this afternoon, dude. I'll be there. And this little like four-year-old or no, like seven-year-old Maya will come in. She'll walk in the door. I'll be playing drums or something. And I'll point right to her. I'll wave and I'll be like, Maya, please come. I got a drum waiting right here for you. And just for an instant, Maya's like, man, I can't believe the whole, everybody, someone's paying attention to me right now. Like they feel um, that point of connection. They just feel important as they should. Because they are important. <laughs> so, okay. So, okay. Back in the yeah. yeah. No. I've... And the, the other thing I was gonna say, is, I thought yeah. you were going one place with that, mm. but uh, you you went someplace really good. I have a I have a another perspective to put on top of that. What do you got? I really like film. I like television. Mm-hmm. I, I I love dramas and and this sort of thing. And and um. I'll sometimes watch the interviews of actors in in um, in films or shows from directors that I like, yep. directors or show creators. And a common theme or thread that I've heard 
is that these these shows that are like the best of their time mm. in almost every case what i've heard the actor say was that the the creator was yeah. collaborative but micromanaged every detail mm. jerry seinfeld is on record about his show seinfeld saying that the reason the show was so good and that it you know they're it's been in syndication for you know 25 forever. years now forever <laughs> is that they micromanaged every detail they obsessed over single lines of dialogue in every episode mm. um i think about mad men just a really terrific show and matthew um wiener who who created and wrote and directed yeah. some of the episodes just how much attention to detail they put into those scripts mm. and even down to things that people wouldn't even know, like he rejected some typewriters that they were going to put in shots because they weren't invented yet in the year that the show was existing. So like they right. were typewriters from 1964, but this year it's 1962. He refused right. to have them in there. Nice. Um, just that attention to detail. And what you're talking about here, Nate, the thing I thought you were going to get to, but but apparently only I'm neurotic enough to think this way, is that it's that attention to detail. Just making sure every I is dotted, every T is crossed. You know? Yeah, no, just, I appreciate that, and and that's a that's a awesome point. And goes, but remember when I said like we introduce students? Mm. One of the details is I don't say Josie, do you know Pearl? I say Josie, have you played yet with Pearl? Yes, that's a, that's Deliberate. a language tweak that's yes. really important. I'm going to get to a couple more of those details that I think are like. Yeah, like as anal as the typewriter piece, which is not anal actually. That's like very, that's like, that's essential because it discredits the entire shot if you've got something that's historically not accurate in it, you know, for those that are taking notice. Um, okay, let's let's knock out a few more habits that you can get into around your waiting area or community room, if you call it that. Um, so you, for those of you, you that are fans of the podcast, you've, you know, you've heard me talk about our community room. You've heard me talk about the jam sessions that happen in them. You've heard me talk about playing big music games in our community room. We have this thing I call the Jumbotron, which is just a mega screen, 120 foot screen or something. And we play these games on them. Um, anyways, one of the habits that we've gotten into is every single student that walks into the community room gets invited to jam without fail. Every single student. And believe me, Daniel, I already know the students well enough now to know who's going to say no and shake it off. But they always get invited. Mm. There's no exceptions. Right? Mm. Um, and so that piece is amazing because there's it's one of our foundational, you know, I mean, it's, it's a methodology for us is playing games, building fluencies through playing these melody, harmony, and rhythm games. And then we play them in the community room and we invite people to play but the real reason I want people to play with us right then and there is because I want them to feel a connection to other gamers. I want them to feel a connection to the other students that are playing in a drum circle with me, right? That's what matters, actually. The, the, if, they, if they develop any sort of fluency in that moment around a me the melody game we're playing, well, that's like a bonus. But really what I care about is that they're playing and connecting with somebody else in that moment because... You know, there's only a couple of gigs a year and they're playing in a band with four or five other musicians. Like it's the the opportunity if the only opportunity to connect is on the bandstand, well, not a lot of opportunities. Right. So that's a habit. And then dig this, Daniel, is that um 
we also invite every single parent or caregiver to play. So that's the kind of mm. habit that's going to take a little bit more practice for people right. listening. If they're like, they're like, I'm not so comfortable with that. I dig it. I'll tell you, I'm going to be totally honest. A lot of our teachers don't feel comfortable or confident enough to invite the parent over to play in the drum circle. Um, so that's just another sidebar um, practice here for all of you founders listening. Um, you have to model what you want. And so I am always inviting the caregivers. I'm always inviting the parents to, into the drum circle to play a game. Um, you know, in the case of like, we were playing uh, Songbirds, which is one of our melody games. And we use dry erase. We use these like laminated sheets and they fill out the, they just basically draw melody maps based on what they hear. They're like melodic dictation games. And I just hand them out to the parents. And I had a couple parents playing Songbirds with like four or five other students in the, in the community room the other day. And that's huge. You say like, how is that building community? Well, just think of any classroom. Like you feel connected to those that are actually on the same, taking, doing the same exercise you're doing. Right. Yeah. And I would just say that I think this provides a mental image for how BMF does this. I think for schools that aren't doing a songwriting based curriculum or, uh, you know, like a, a rock school style of curriculum, they're going to have to think what's what's my version of that. We don't have, totally. bands, you know, but I think in hearing the purpose behind it, that'll spark some creativity, I think. Yeah, totally. Yeah. And keep in mind, like, I think it's really, I mean, that's a really important discernment to make. Like, everybody has their own program. It's not like all methodologies are totally unique. That's not, the, that's not what we're saying. But you do want to honor what your program is. If you're, for example, a Suzuki music studio, then, you know, you're going to have specific um, materials that you might want to reference. But Keep in mind, like Suzuki is an ear before eye approach, tons of ear training opportunities. In addition, a lot of our games we're playing, by the way, are just like rhythmic dictation or transcription games, which is absolutely a part of Suzuki. So you might package mm -hmm. it in a different way. You might mm -hmm. present it in a way that doesn't, isn't presented the way we might do it at Brooklyn Music Factory. But the, the end um, goal is still, the intention is still the same. You're trying to get students to do an activity together in advance of their lesson or after their lesson. So there's some version of connection outside of the classroom. Dig hmm. it? Mm -hmm. And if you can extend that to parents, you're winning. I promise you that. I, I get like 5% parent engagement, but I ask them every time. <laughs> so mm. so if, you're getting, if you're getting like 50% of the parents all doing like some cool melodic dictation in your waiting room, you've got to write us and tell us about it. Okay, let's knock yeah, out these others awesome. and get to the to the studio habits. Okay, the last couple things that we do within the community room and waiting room, again, not rocket science, really straightforward. Number one, if you have recitals, you have community events, make sure that you have posters hung, make sure that you have a QR code on the poster, mm -hmm. make sure that you have printed flyers that you can hand to a, a parent, mm -hmm. and make sure that you're verbally inviting families to the upcoming recitals. You're handing them a flyer about it. You're saying, be sure to show up. Here's when it is, right? Do not assume that like your email is all you need to do to get families connected mm -hmm. to the larger mm -hmm. um, communal piece. So 
Mm. You know, we have a jumbotron I was talking about. We we always, now we just have, like right now, we're about to do what we call a magic hour, which is a community concert for the young, like 48-year-olds, Saturday night. And that up there is just a big old poster of the of the magic hour with a QR code and every member gets free tickets. So scan that sucker and get your tickets. And we hand a parent a flyer and we say, see you Saturday. Mm. Right. Those little things like just taking the extra step of posting a poster and then verbally pointing to it and inviting families is again, it's one of those habits, Daniel, Mm. right? You're actually taking the extra step to invite someone. Mm. Right. That's important. Uh, we found it to be really important around developing and building community and getting people to show up, right? Finally, last thing we do in the community room is just a student photo wall. I remember my uncle, I think I mentioned this on a previous app. I got, I don't know which, but my uncle was president of the University of Miami in Florida for like a long time, right? And I remember he would, when I was first starting BMF, I would go to him and I would ask him about, like, just be like, tell, give me some advice, any advice about running uh, you know, and in his case, it was a huge institution, but he would, he said, um, the most important p- thing that I've ever done to develop connection among faculty was a photo wall. And I was just like, what? He's like, yep. Photos of faculty on the wall where they could see who they work with. And so it sounds so simple and basic. But, you know, we just opened a new home and we're right now literally like one of our top priorities is getting our photo wall back up. Right. And that's all of the students that are part of your community because your students will walk into that waiting area and I promise you they will walk over to the photo wall. We do one other tweak on it, too, is which is like we take a little Polaroid of them and then we have a little piece of paper that just says what instrument or band, what instrument do you play? What band do you play in if they do? And then what's your musical goal this year? And they write a little something underneath it. You never know what it's going to be. but um, And it's just, it's awesome because students will come up, they'll look at the wall, and then they'll point to somebody else on the wall and they'll be like, she's in my school. And like, really? And that little connection is what you're looking for, right? So that rounds out my habits, mm. hacks, tips, and tricks for the community room. I love it. Running a music school can be a challenge. You can only see so many students per week and it feels like you're trading time for dollars. Margins are small and you're always looking for qualified teaching staff. Wouldn't it be great if there was a way to see more students in less time while maintaining high educational standards for your school? Well, now you can with Piano Express from grouplessons.com. Piano Express is a new way to teach group piano, one that seamlessly combines a new innovative group method technology, and industry-leading teacher training to make it easier and more profitable than ever to start group lessons in your studio. Piano Express allows you to see 12 students per hour per teacher, and over a decade of testing has shown that the gamified curriculum significantly increases student practice times and studio retention. To help you get started, the Piano Express method has a training course for you and your team. It's included when you use the system in your studio. Most schools can get their first class up and running in just a few weeks. So visit grouplessons.com to sign up for a free demo or use our calculator to see how much money your school can save each month by using Piano Express.
Where go. where should we go to next on this virtual tour of the inside of your school? <laughs> yeah, let, let's go to the classroom next, and then we'll end with the performance, the main stage. Dig it? Okay, so the classroom, um, again, I've sort of subtitled, like, what is the teacher doing in the classroom that is uh, helping build community? And I said, studio room rules, a collaborative learning and discovery environment right? So the rules are in our studios are all about how is this teacher collaborating, getting the student to think about collaborating. So that's another fancy word for built, we just say for building community, right? So um, in our case, our lesson ar architecture goes like this. In a private lesson, every lesson begins with the free jam for five minutes. We call it a five-minute warm-up. And, and you were talking about details around language, Daniel. This is a really important detail. We say there's only two rules to the five-minute warm-up, okay? Number one, you always keep one ear on me, and I always keep one ear on you. And then number two, no matter how great we sound, when the alarm goes off, we have to stop at five minutes. So notice what's baked into that. Number one, the connection. Number two, you're getting rid of judgment immediately. No matter how great we sound, you're just getting rid of the idea that it, you could possibly not sound good in a free jam. Just how great, no matter how great we sound, we're done at five minutes. So that, um, for those of you that are listening and thinking, wait, that's so different than the way my private lessons run. Keep in mind that we train the heck out of that with our teachers. Our new teachers come in and it's, Almost never that a teacher is like, oh, yeah, I'm totally comfortable with a free improvisation for five minutes to start out a private lesson. Like that, that doesn't happen. <laughs> so, so again, we train to that idea. We're like, this is a habit we want you to develop. Every lesson starts with this. And um, just as a sidebar, that's how we say, hello, how are you? You know, remember the oftentimes in the traditional lesson architecture, it's like, you start with small talk. In our case, that small talk happens in the community room when we pick up the student. And by the time we get to the studio, we're ready for our jam. Okay, next. And this is another, uh, it sounds simple, but it really is important that we say it out loud often in the beginning with new teachers, is that our teachers always play with their students. Now, this is something every studio can mandate. Yeah, you guys they do? don't. Yeah, they don't observe their student; they play mm. with their student. Mm. Um, so, let me give you a couple of concrete examples, and um, and then I'll talk a little bit about. Maybe I'll talk a bit about how we train to it. But a concrete example is, um, you know, we do this all the time, Daniel, when we're teaching like piano repertoire, and you have a second piano part, an accompaniment part, right? And and I remember oftentimes, like I'll be working out of like the music tree book years ago or something. And I'd be like, ah, uh, I know there's an accompaniment part, but I'm just going to let the student play. Instead of taking that extra effort of just going to sit down next to her and playing the accompaniment with her, right? Um, at BMF, you know, we're, we're playing primarily pop and rock and jazz song forms. And so, yeah, I'm just always grabbing a guitar or yesterday I was playing bass with all my students. And I basically suck at bass, so I'm. it's like I'm playing at a really simple level, but I'm playing with them, 
okay? Or I'm jumping on a drum set, or I'm just jumping on a hand drum, anything to connect with them. Um, by the way, uh, you asked a little bit about how you mandate that or how you get parents, teachers to do it. The most common thing a teacher says to us when they first arrive at BMF is, oh, actually, I don't play drums. I actually don't play guitar. And the most common thing we see with our teachers like six months later is they're playing everything. Mm. Right? Mm -hmm. And it's, it's, it's super important for everybody who just heard that to just contemplate that for a minute. Because one of our core values is be the best version of yourself. And it doesn't mean you have to be good at guitar. It just means you have to actually dust that sucker off and learn enough chords to be able to play with your student. And we, as we all know as teachers, there's nothing that's more energizing to a student than seeing their teacher also stretching and learning. They love that. They love that you're jumping on something and saying like, well, I just started working on ukulele, but can I play with you? They, they freaking love to see that. Um, okay. I'm going to keep going on our rules in the interest of time. So um, next is that we, within the studio, we always, we, as much as possible, we shoot video and share with other teachers. So that's actually mandated, right? We have, we have a gig. On that gig would be piano, bass, drums, voice, um, and they're playing one of our songwriting templates with original lyrics, et cetera. And what we do in advance of the gig, of the songwriting party, is we have all the teachers shoot a video of their student playing along with the jam track. And then they upload it to a G drive. And then we, in our case, we actually do a quick edit together of the music video. So these students all see their band and they see the other musicians performing before they ever get on stage. Right? That's actually not a simple habit to, to, to integrate. It's a more complex one. But mm. we found so much return on that in terms of students being psyched by the time they get to the gig because they know some of the musicians on the bandstand that they're going to play with. And they just feel energized that they're no longer playing to a sheet music, but they're playing actually to a group of musicians in video form that we think it's worth the investment of time and effort. Um, so we shoot video. That's how we, that's one of our studio classroom rules is making sure that we're shooting every season videos of the students and uploading them for other teachers to share with their students. Mm, I think that uh, I'm, I'm especially partial to this one. Video mm, yeah. was something that I started doing early in my studio. Um, I think it's more common now, but I was doing video in my studio back when I would tell other teachers this and they would they would get shocked like oh, parents are okay with you taking videos it just it wasn't <laughs> we weren't there yet as a culture and I'm talking like nearly 10 years ago I started doing video in my studio back in 2009 um 2008 point being that again these are small these are small actions this one as you mentioned a little more complex small actions mm -hmm. but they 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 the the cumulative effect of all these together creates a different experience and a different different emotion inside the people who are who are participating in this I, yeah i'm not I, being very eloquent in saying this but it is true <laughs> um well well yeah daniel and we're like right now we're in the middle of our gig prep like mm -hmm. songwriting parties coming up within like 4 or 5 weeks of of um, 
you know, when we're recording this app. And what's happening right now is that I'm watching students and they're, they're posting in the Slack channel. I'm watching students practicing to another student of another teacher their video. So they're literally like singing along with a pian the, the, the vocalist will be singing along with another pianist um, from a different teacher. And like, there, you're absolutely right. There's some emotional thing that's happening there that's very different than the aloneness of just singing on your own, mm. you know? And the video, the fact that it's of another student playing this same tune, um, yeah, it's, it's super, it's, I agree with you. It's really, it's super, it's really powerful. Um, okay, mm. so. Can I jump to the last couple before we get to the gig? Oh, I'd love to hear them. Okay. So we have a few more rules within the classroom that I think are really important around building community. The first, the next one is we send all of our lesson reports within 24 hours, including videos of lessons whenever possible. So why is this important? Because it actually, if you, like I make an effort to shoot video and have me in the video with the student. And then I upload that, you know, I put that video with the lesson report, which is just a glorified email home to the family. And this develops connection because the family members see their student, their child, and they see the teacher. And they begin, that begins to like develop that triangle of trust that we call it, which is a, it, which is a connection between the teacher, student, and parent. So sending those reports within 24 hours, that's, that's mandated at BMF. Uh, we literally measure it. We really, really have on our dashboard a percentage of your reports that have been sent. And we know, I mean, basically, it's not like it's punitive. It's like, hey, this is what we're all aspiring to, so let's get her done. Um, okay, moving on, we have a couple of other things that are actually also just literal that we do. Within the classroom, we actually have a community checklist. It's just the teacher goes through it, and it's like, okay, it's this time in, this, in the songwriting season or this time in the semester, have I done the following? And they go through this checklist and it's called community. It's like, have I put my student on the gig song tracker? Meaning have I put them on in a band with other students? Next is, have I, you know, I just talked about this. Have I shot the video of the band and uploaded it? I mean, the video of my student and uploaded it to the band. So we literally have a checklist that we give teachers and like go through all of these things and you have to do it and put a check on that box. And then I, again, just like the um, lesson report sent percentage, uh, Ben, our private lesson director, will just ask the, we'll ask the teachers, we'll be like, hey, how's your community checklist coming? What percentage of, the, of everything on that community checklist have you done? So again, that's a little bit more complex, but it doesn't have to be at all. It could just be a poster in your classroom that you put up that you're just like, hey guys, it's recital season. Have you, you know, shared the recital date with your families yet? Check. Have you, you know, simple things like that. Doesn't have to be complex. Finally, um, and this piece is, we talked about a little bit in the community room, but it's the one of the very first things that we train to we have these two-day training days at the beginning of every school year. We just say, teachers, memorize your students' names. That seems obvious. But also memorize the names, the first names of the parents. Less obvious. Mm. Right? Mm. Less obvious. 
but it's essential. Because anyone who's been teaching a long time knows that, that your community and your connection starts there. Starts within yeah. the, the triangle of trust with the family, and then it evolves beyond there. I'll just say, if you want all of a sudden your waiting room to be a vibrant place where parents are talking with one another, well, then the teachers need to know the parents' names because the teachers are the ones that are going to be facilitating those conversations between parents. Dig it? Mm, yes. Okay, so that's the last piece for my what can we do within the classroom to promote community. I'm going to move on to the final area, if that's cool, Daniel. Yeah, I think so. I'm just uh, taking this all in. I think maybe the encouragement I would give people is that there's probably a couple different ways that you can take all these ideas that Nate's giving. There's a couple of ways that you could choose to deploy them. Mm. Maybe for those who are listening to this at kind of a casual level or a, you know, I'm commuting right now and I'm listening to this. Ooh, that's a really good one. Oh, I like what Daniel said about how the, the waiting room is kind of like a funeral parlor. What could we do to make it more vibrant? And, you know, you, maybe you take a couple of these ideas and you implement them. You know, we should greet students by name. We should come out. I can think of studios right now where the kids walk back to their classroom. Mm -hmm. Student, the teacher doesn't come out. You know, that, that, yeah. But by the teacher coming out, it's just another human in the room and it, create, it creates something different. Mm -hmm. But then I think there's a second way to deploy this and that would be to, to think very deeply about this. In reality, um, I can't remember who said the quote, but we, know, we all know I like a good quote. That success is not a one-time action. It's a habit. And while I'm not going to cast this conversation around community in success or winning or that sort of thing, I will say that culture is created by habitually doing something over and over again. And oftentimes the culture is created unconsciously. People mm. are doing it from instinct, not because there's a list of rules on the wall. And so I think if one wanted to implement these things more deeply, it first might look like rules policies, principles, yeah. over time, it does become that instinctual thing where you just do things a certain way, just like one might on a gig. You have a certain way you plug in all your XLR cables. You have a certain way you set up the soundboard. You have a certain way, you know, um, it, it's foreign at first, but then, but then you internalize it and that's just the way it's done. And I think that one could, even if this feels foreign now, one could consciously put these things into place, then it becomes instinct for the people who are implementing this in the front end. And then it becomes culture for all those who come in afterwards, whether it's a team member or it's a student or a family, it becomes yeah. culture for them. Yeah. And I love the, I love what you said is like, you can take one or two ideas right now and just be like, huh, I think I'm going to test that out myself. And then maybe I'll introduce it to my community of teachers. Or you can also like you said, Daniel, you can contemplate at a deeper level, does community truly matter within my school? And do I actually want to think about a long-term plan of how to roll some of these habits out? Um, I love the idea of keeping it pretty damn simple with my habits. So I would strongly discourage anyone of making a laundry list of these and saying, I'm going to do this all within the next six months. I would encourage you to say, What's one thing that we've talked about <laughs> that you'd like to test out over like the next 60 days? Yeah. You know, yeah. 
Let me ask you a question, just purely off the cuff. Yeah. Do you think someone could look at one of these places? Like, you know what? I'm going to do the waiting room ones. We're going to transform yeah. our waiting room. Do you think? Do you think someone could have success in trying to implement a bunch of those all at once, or do you think that's too much to bite off? I think you could definitely. I think. By the way, I think the waiting room or the community room is a great place to start. Um, and I think you could absolutely do things like add posters, flyers, and verbal invites right away. I think you could add a photo wall within 30 days. If you, if you just said, yeah, we're going to do it. I'm buying a Polaroid camera. I'm not even going to worry about getting it perfect. I'm just going to start sticking photos on the wall. Um, and I think you could absolutely make, dedicate yourself. I remember, um, uh, to memorizing names. I remember early on in BMF, I used to, before every gig, I would print out all the parents' names and I'd had a cheat sheet in my back pocket because I was just like swimming. You know, I was trying to produce the gig. I was trying to play on the gig. I had students on the gig, but I was like, I really, really want to try to get at least like half of the parents' names today. So I would just have my cheat sheet and I would just, you know, highlight the first name and try desperately to say, call them by name, at least half of them. So I would put those in. I like that idea, Daniel. I think it's cool to look at one area. Yeah, uh, which is a good segue to our final area, which is the stage in performance. For us, it's just collaborate and celebrate, collaborate and celebrate. You just got to celebrate the heck out of the fact that you're actually getting up there together, whether you're in the audience or on the stage. That's all one big collaboration, right? So I call it collaborate and celebrate. And we have a few different habits you could you could uh, consider putting into place. Um, I'm going to start before the gig even starts, which is like we what I mentioned briefly, which is this gig tracker. Basically, having some version of a production sheet. It's just a spreadsheet. It's nothing fancy. It just says like student. It says song, and then it has voice, piano one, piano two, guitar one, guitar two, drums, bass, right? And you're just filling in names. That's all it is. But the act of a teach of me as a teacher going to put my student in that band means I'm thinking out beyond my student. I'm thinking, oh, they're playing in a group. So you could start a gig tracker now. It could be a recital tracker, whatever it is. You know that your students, like you have two pianists that are going to be playing together or whatever your situation is, whatever, you know, the genre that you're promoting in your school and teaching to, et cetera. But the gig trackers, are, we've been doing it since year one at the factory for 13 years. And one little um, principle around the gig tracker that's important is we use language like, are you leading this song or are you supporting this song? So in other words, uh, on our teen open mic that's coming up in a couple weeks from this recording, every student is allowed to lead one song which essentially means that they're picking the song. It could be the drummer picking the song. And then they it's up to the teacher to recruit other students to support that song. And all the teachers know that their teen students get to pick a lead song. So they're all motivated to look at that same student and say, okay, you've picked your lead song. Let's find you two or three other songs that you're going to support. So... We go to that gig tracker. We take that. I take my 12 year old student, Nio, and I say, Nio, let's get you on three other songs where you can support other musicians. And so when you begin to use that language, of course, that, that's, that gets back to my definition of community, where it's like a group of people where everybody's thinking, how can I benefit one another? 
So this is just the band version of it. Like you're on the bandstand, we'll like use language that. like, yeah. So can you? Our job is to make this singer sound as great as she possibly can. That's what I'll say to my, our, my you know, my piano student. I'll be like, huh? But yeah. it begins to get them to think differently. Yeah. So is the idea here just so they know the names? Like, what's the deeper thing going on there? Maybe I'm not tracking with you fully. Mm. There's two deeper. Well, there's there's yeah, the surface level, which is important, is that they actually recognize that there are other musicians in the school that right. are playing on this song, and they're going to actually play together. So that that is actually really important for sure. you know for a ten year old. Um, but the deeper principle is this: that they're in a supporting role which is beginning to plant the seed that as musicians were in service to something or some, someone or something greater than our skill at the instrument. And so obviously we all know this. If you're a parent listening to this, you're like, man, this takes years for my kid to even begin to think about anyone but themselves, right? Um, but we do it, you know, gig after gig after gig at BMF and we will literally use language with the older students. Like an advanced 15-year-old will be like, Aiden, it's t- we need you to be on this intermediate gig because these students need to know that you're there to support them. Remember when you were 10? Yeah, well, now you're 15, and we have 10-year-olds that need to know what it's like to have a 15-year-old who's an advanced student supporting them. And so we'll say things like, this is your community service to go play, to go back this, this singer, you know? So that's the deeper underlying meaning is that they begin to realize that their skill on the instrument can be in service to others. Cause it's a very, I mean, as we all know, like music can be dangerously egocentric. It's like, it's a really True. scary art form in that way. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Especially so, the more solo instruments, but let's not even go there. Just go there. Yeah, let's not go there. <laughs> right. Totally. Pointing to myself, piano player. <laughs> yeah. No, dude, I know. I spent so many freaking hours in the in the practice room and all I was thinking I was only thinking about what I could do. So I dig it. Okay, moving on. We got a couple of other things. Um I mentioned this before in the classroom in terms of shooting videos, but for in performance, we do a video performance and a live performance of all original songs. So how does that build community? Well, the video lasts forever and we show them on the Jumbotron all the time. Mm. So students are like remembering the gigs that they played together. They're seeing that video play up yeah. on the screen. That's a that's a really important piece around developing and, and maintaining connections that they made maybe in a fleeting five minutes on the bandstand. Right. So that I would put that in the more complicated habit to start developing. Are you going to really make music videos right out of the gate? No. But you might say a year from now, man, I remember listening to Daniel and Nate about about building community. And I think I'm ready to actually try to start making music videos with my intermediate or advanced students. You know, you might you might make that choice a little bit down the road, but that's a that's an important one. Okay, now we're on the actual gig day so i'm just gonna frame it in the let's say it's an intermediate songwriting party right so these are all kids ages like um eight to eleven okay and it's all original music and what the way our songwriting party is organized is that we have this little back rehearsal studio which is our advanced band studio and then we have our main stage which is our community room doubles as our performance venue so yeah 
<clears throat> one of the one of the the ways that we build community on the gig day is that there's a 10 minute speed rehearsal that every band gets right before they take the main stage and perform. So they go back to that rehearsal space and that 10 minute rehearsal is led by a couple teachers and those teachers might not even be the students teachers. Right? It could be any teacher. So right away these students are getting exposed to other teachers and they're meeting their band before they go on the main stage. That's a very intentional part of our party. Dig it? Um, and then finally, they get they move on to the main stage, and we always, and this is a habit you can start right now at, at your next recital, is we always take a beat, and we look at every student, and we ask them if they've ever played with one another. Hmm. And so we always pause and the students, of course, again, back to your question, like 20 minutes ago, Daniel, of course, they don't say like, totally not until they're like 11 or 12. Will they be like, right. oh, yeah, I've played with Andy and Josie before, you know, but they'll just stare at you and you'll be like, OK, well, let's meet one another. And it's really important to understand why we're doing this. For all the reasons I mentioned before, we're trying to get these students and these to start to make eye contact and connect with one another, realize that they're actually making music with another human, which is a radical concept for any kid aged like four to, to you know, I'd say nine for sure, right? But it could be even older. Um, but there's another reason, which is that we are showing all the parents, we're doing this in front of an audience of 70 people. And we're showing the parents that this is what it means to be a musician, that you collaborate and you perform together. Because everybody listening here knows that parents are focused generally on one thing, and that's their own child. So if you need to start to open parents' minds to all the other musicians that are, are part of your child's experience, then they need to see and be educated themselves on what it actually means to be a musician in a band. So that's what we're doing there. We're literally taking a beat and um, saying, hey, everybody get to know one another. And then if they're in advance, let's say they're 12 and up, then we're putting it on the students to actually lead that. We'll say, yeah. Oh, no, 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 continue, Nate. I, okay, I, I, I was just gonna say, we'll, we'll ask like Nora, who's about to do a, a, another songwriting gig, she's 12, we'll say, Nora, can you introduce every musician in the band? And so, of course, she doesn't know everybody's name, so she's going to have to go around and ask their names, and then she's going to, but she'll lead that, right? And in that moment of Nora leading the introduction, on drums, we have Pearl. On bass, we have Kenta. When she does that, her parents start to expand their view of community. They're like, oh, wait, Nora knows all these other musicians, mm. right? So that's the key there because our whole our theme is community and connection and collaboration. That's what we're talking about on this episode. So the introduction isn't some sort of showpiece. Mm. It's not like, on drums, Pearl, boom, 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 boom. It's not like that at all. This isn't a Vegas show. Right. We're, we're using the main stage as a point, uh, as a classroom. Okay. You know, I'm noticing a common thread that's gone through all th three of these and there's been this focus mm. on the name there's been this focus on deliberately introducing people to one another yep i have no pushback on this idea i think 
the question I have that I don't want mistaken as pushback, but I do want people, I do want it to be known as clarification would be, I can imagine myself starting to make that a habit. Mm. And what I imagine in my head is I have, you know, I introduce two kids and then they kind of just awkwardly say their name to each other. And then they just go on about their life. They didn't become mm. best friends in front of my very eyes right here. Like, yeah, <laughs> um, <laughs> just, because we're looking for feedback. And if we don't know what we're looking for, then we won't, we'll miss the subtle signs of whether it's working mm. or not. Yes. And we won't and 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 we won't do the follow-up things that I'm sure you do if you see that interaction isn't creating the outcome that you want. So it's the difference between the beginner and the expert. And so, you know, again, yeah, I want to put that I, that image out there in front of you of like, oh, I'm introducing these parents. Oh, I'm saying the name, but What's the deeper thing? Do you, do you see yeah, what I'm getting at, Nate? No. Well, well, you also you raised a really good point right there, which is, of course, what's oftentimes happens is just like it's radio silence, right? Like I'm gonna literally, dude, I'll be on the bandstand in four weeks, and I'll have Miles, my seven year old student, playing with Dylan, my nine year old student, and I'll be like, Miles, if you gig with Dylan, this will be on the bandstand, okay? So it's in front of all the parents, and Miles will be like. Um, I'll be like, okay, can't quite remember yet, but let's see, Dylan, have you gigged with Miles before? And Dylan will be like, I don't think so. And so then normally you'd be like, oh, did this whole thing fall flat? But in that moment, you're just like, man, okay, this is the first of many gigs together. Congratulations, boys. Okay, shall we get the song started? So all of, so I'm always like like in that moment that's the education piece right I'm just planting a seed they're they're saying hello to one another kind of in the way like 7 and 8 or 9 year olds would say hello to one another but the real purpose there is to plant the seed that they'll be back on the bandstand again together many like dozens more times that's actually what's happening right and so if you're going to start developing this habit on your recitals, then you, yeah, you want to think through like, what's your follow-up comment when the kids just stare at you blankly? Cause they will. So you might just be like, incredible. Okay. So this time you're playing whatever this song out of the Suzuki book. But next time, imagine you two playing da, 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 da. Incredible. You guys are going to be performing together for years. I have a feeling. Okay, shall we do it? You know, whatever. You got to come up with your own version. But that's, I don't know if that helps answer it, but that's the way my mind's working on the bandstand. That makes sense. And is I will there... say this, Daniel, oh, is that I see teachers that are trying to understand the value of this. And often, and sometimes they will. They'll just say like, they'll ask the question, but they don't really have a follow-up. So there's sort of that moment and they don't quite have it yet where they follow up with a comment. Um, and that's just because they're new to the idea. They're just beginning still to understand the value of that teachable moment. Um, but, but they get their totes. Okay, one last um, tip for performances and building connection. And then that's a wrap. That's all I got for today. 
which is that on the intermediate and advanced gigs, or uh, sorry, on the intermediate, beginner, intermediate, and advanced, but hopefully not much on the advanced, on the beginner and intermediate, our teachers always play with the students. Even if it's just one teacher. So by the time our kids are like 11 or 12, generally it's like a f- out of six possible positions in the band, five of them are students, right? But a teacher will always get up there and it's really, really valuable for that teacher to, to find themselves on the bandstand with five students, four of whom aren't theirs, right? Because that's the deeper meaning there is that they begin to understand these musicians as musicians in that moment. Um, even if it's a seven-year-old playing a beginning song, right? So that's the last habit that we get into is that we're always like, you know, back to my comment before of a teacher being like, oh, I don't really play the drums or I don't really play the bass or I'm not actually a guitarist. I'm like, you may not be today, but I say you put yourself on the gig, getting back to that gig song tracker, put yourself on bass for those songs this winter. And you'll next thing you know, you'll be playing bass. Right. But it gets them to not only strive for themselves, but also to get to connected to those students. So that's a wrap. The three areas community room, classroom, main stage. What yeah. you can do. I think as a final encouragement. I would just point back to what we've been highlighting all along that if your sample size is one week, to decide whether this is working or not, I think you're approaching this in the wrong way. I think if it's, if the idea here is, Ooh, are there any, you know, tasty tips or quick hacks yeah it's not that's not what this is about this is about culture and this again as we said at the outset this is the practical side of that of episode 73 episode 73 being the reasoning and this being the the how-to and what i'd love to hear from folks is what are you going to put into place or what are you doing to build community or school that we haven't talked about here love to hear that and, yeah, you um, know, that ahead, episode Nate. you cited from the the last episode we did with Brian. Yeah, 74. Um, yeah, 74. He has some awesome ideas mm. about how to extend and build community beyond your doors. And I, I love his ideas. Yeah. So and that was those, another practical episode. Um, so just so many places we can put these things in, into effect. Well, okay. There was a there nothing that radical or complex, but there were a lot of ideas in there. So hopefully, we are of benefit to every all of our listeners. And keeping in mind that um, the habits that we'll put in place, Daniel, are those that are linked to our purpose as a program. So when you really hammer those value, you get your values down, and you know what your purpose is, and you begin to match your methodology to your purpose. I think that's when you begin to identify as this and those habits stick. So what you might hear something that sounds totally foreign to you. um, Well, everything starts with your purpose. So go there and then decide, well, a couple of these habits really do align with our purpose. So, okay. Thanks again. Great app. Hey, it's Nate again. You know, every year at Brooklyn Music Factory, we get dozens and dozens of great reviews from our families. 
And you want to know how? Because we ask them. And they're happy to leave a review because of the positive impact that we've made on them. And so now I have a simple ask for you. If this podcast, the 7FMS podcast, was helpful to you, would you mind leaving a review for Daniel and I? And please share the podcast with another music school owner that you think might benefit. It's one of the best ways that you can support us. We appreciate it.